you've been paying attention to the news recently, you probably heard or read reports that would be of interest to anyone reading the passage that we're about to examine this morning. Apparently, although it has always been around, there has this year, particularly in central Florida, been an outbreak of leprosy. More than one headline has referred to it as a biblical disease. I suppose if you define a biblical disease as a disease that the Bible mentions, then it's a biblical disease. It would be the equivalent of referring to linen as a biblical cloth. Bread is biblical food. Medically, that which is commonly called leprosy is something called Hansen's disease. It has a very specific definition. When the term leprosy is used in Scripture, it's much less specific, as we see here in Leviticus chapter 13. Leprosy was a general term for a wide variety of conditions which afflicted the skin. But generally speaking, our passage today has to do with leprosy or skin conditions of various sorts, which may or may not cause the person so afflicted to be declared unclean. So if you've got your Bibles, please turn there to Leviticus chapter 13. Father, as we turn to this portion of your word, once again we come to you for help. This is your word. Though you gave it through Moses, Father, it is your word, and we want to be taught by the author. So we pray, Father, that you would help us by your spirit today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this is a long chapter. Uh, Leviticus has some short chapters and some long chapters. Uh, last week we looked at chapter 12, and that's eight verses. We come to Leviticus chapter 13, and there are 59. And it's very specific material, most of which deals with skin diseases and how the priests are to distinguish one disease from another, and how they are to distinguish that which is clean from unclean, and what to do about that. The priests then are to distinguish between those things that are not so serious and those that are Serious things which would preclude you, if you had such a disease, from coming into the camp, being among the people. And also, of course, this has a great deal to do with the worship of God's people 
as we have been seeing all through Leviticus, if one is considered to be unclean, one cannot enter into the worship of God's people there at the tabernacle until that condition changes, until they are then declared to be clean. And so the passage that we're studying is continuing this discussion of the clean and the unclean, of ceremonial purity and holiness in Israel, and it's doing that to make some very important points. Now, before we look at this passage, let me suggest uh, an outline which might help us to proceed. You see the introduction to the passage there in verse 1, then the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying... And this particular phrase in Leviticus indicates a new section to which we are being introduced by Moses. We realize, of course, that as Moses wrote the book of Leviticus and all of the other books for that matter, he did not write them in chapters. The chapter divisions, even the verse divisions for that matter, are not mosaic in origin. They are not inspired. People came along later and included them in the text to make it easier for us. And in so many ways, it does make it easier. But that's not how Moses did it. When we come to a phrase like verse 1, telling us that the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying that is our clue that something's changing here. We're moving into a different section of the book. Now, the rest of the chapter, from verse 2 to 59, deals with skin disease and clothing contaminated by, presumably, that skin disease, and how that could contribute to a person's being declared unclean, and how persons who are not infected by serious skin diseases could be pronounced clean by the priests when they were examined. The idea behind this, again, is that disease and decay are incompatible with the blessing of the presence of God in the assembly of his people. God is holy. He is perfect. And in contrast to that, disease and decay remind us that we live in a fallen world, that we are not Perfect. We are not holy as God is holy. We ourselves have the effects of the fall exhibited in our bodies. So I look out at you and see people wearing glasses. It's a reminder. Things are not what they are supposed to be. We are afflicted with things. Watch some of you after the service as you get up and greet one another and make your way to the door and there will be a limp here and there. Or at least a very slow walk. There are all kinds of evidences that are very obvious to us that tell us something is wrong with this world that we live in and these bodies in which we dwell. So as we come to Leviticus chapter 13, that's what we're seeing again. It's a picture, it's a type, as it were, of sin. 
And therefore, these diseases, if they are accorded to be one of the serious diseases in the passage upon the examination of the priest, these diseases become things which exclude one from the assembly of God's people as they enter into the presence of God to worship. If you've got one of these diseases, you cannot join in the corporate worship of God's people until the priest has examined you and declared you at some future point to be clean. Now, the same thing is going on here in that regard to what we have seen with animal sacrifices. Only a particular kind of animal can be sacrificed in ancient Israel. Something without blemish, something spotless. It has to be, a, obviously, a particular kind of animal as well. Now, there's no moral quality to that. The animal that, ha if you bring a sheep to the tabernacle, and that sheep is found to have a blemish, maybe it's got a birthmark, there's something physically wrong with that sheep. It is not perfect. Well, that's not a moral failing in the sheep. But it is a picture. And that's what these diseases are intended to provide for us. You'll note that in verses 2 through 59, that large section is itself divided up into two other sections. In verses 1 through 46, we have the skin diseases being dealt with, while in verse 47 through 59, we have the contamination of clothing being dealt with. Again, presumably because of their association with the skin disease, we'll break down each of those major sections as we go. But let's walk together through the first part of this chapter. I'm not going to read the entire chapter, but I do want to just lay out for you what's happening here. In verses 1 through 8, you have the instructions on whether a person was going to be declared clean or unclean, and we see that the basis for this determination is the examination and the diagnosis of the priest. When a man has on his skin of his on the skin of his body a swelling or a scab or a bright spot, and it becomes an infection of leprosy on the skin of his body, then he shall be brought to Aaron the priest or one of the sons of the priest. The priest shall look at the mark on the skin of the body, and if the hair in the infection has turned white and the infection appears to be deeper than the skin of his body, it is an infection of leprosy. When the priest has looked at him, he shall pronounce him unclean. But if the bright spot is white on the skin of his body and it does not appear to be deeper than the skin, then the hair on it has not turned white. Then the priest shall isolate him who has the infection for seven days. The priest shall look at him on the seventh day and if, his, if in his eyes the infection has not changed and the infection has not spread on the skin, then the priest shall isolate him for seven more days. The priest shall look at him again on the seventh day, and if the infection has faded and the mark has not spread on the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him clean. It is only a scab, and he shall wash his clothes and be clean. 
But if the scab spreads further on the skin after he has shown himself to the priest for cleansing, he shall appear again to the priest. The priest shall look, and if the scab is spread on the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is leprosy. Now that's, in general, what we're going to be seeing throughout the text. Someone has a skin condition, they come to the priest, the priest examines him and determines whether or not he is clean or unclean. It's interesting, isn't it, that the priest is to carefully examine a person before that person can be declared clean or unclean. This is not something to be done casually. The priest isn't supposed to simply give a cursory glance at the situation because this is something that is very important, this idea of being clean or unclean. You can't make a mistake if you're the priest. You know, sometimes we go to the doctor and we might feel like he's being a little bit casual with us. The doctor comes in and may feel like he can't wait to get to the next patient. Now, that may not be the case, of course. It may be that your problem is so obvious that he doesn't need to spend a lot of time with you. Or perhaps he knows you. <laughs> Maybe you're there to see him every other week, and he knows you're a hypochondriac, and he's just not going to spend a lot of time worrying about it. So we need to be charitable, but it can sometimes feel like a doctor isn't really all that interested. But the priest is required to do a thorough job. He's supposed to do a very thorough examination. And if the particular conditions which are specified in these verses are present, he is to make certain pronouncements. As we go on in the chapter, in verses 9 through 17, we're given specific examples of different kinds of people who would come to the priest with diseased flesh. It may have been a raw or an open flesh wound, and in that case, the person was to be pronounced unclean and could only be restored to the status of ritual cleanness after the healing of that particular wound. But if the wound remained, if there continued to be an open wound, then the person continued to be unclean. In verses 18 through 28, there's a third section of this first part of the chapter, and it deals with whether the priest is to pronounce you clean or unclean based on the type of skin infections that you were bringing to be examined. There could be inflammation, there could be boils, there could be burns, all kinds of different things of that nature. And then if you look at verse 29 through 37, you'll see that it deals with whether the priest was to declare someone ritually clean or unclean in relation to skin disorders that impacted the hair and the beard. In verses 38 and 39, we're told that there are certain types of skin diseases which do not constitute uncleanness. When a man or a woman has bright spots on the skin of his body, even white bright spots, then the priest shall look, and if the bright spots on the skin of their body are a faint white, it is eczema that has broken out on the skin, and he is clean. 
So you have these distinctions being made. Is this essentially just a rash? A manifestation of eczema or something of that nature? Those are not disqualifying skin disorders. And so he's kind of telling us, if that's what it is, it's a false alarm. It's nothing to worry about. The man is, or, or the woman, is not pronounced unclean. And then in verses 40 to 44, there's a sixth section of these instructions. And again, this has to do with whether or not the priest declares someone clean or unclean who this time is bald, or someone who has head infections of various kinds. And I'm happy to say that most bald people were not declared unclean. It's a good thing. In verses 45 and 46, we have the seventh and final section of this first portion of the chapter, and that passage reminds us that the one who is declared unclean during the entire time of his being in the state of ritual uncleanness is to dwell outside the camp and take on the status of a mourner. And so you see this beginning with verse 45, as for the leper who has the infection, his clothes shall be torn and the hair of his head shall be uncovered and he shall cover his mustache and cry, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean all the days during which he has the infection. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. So everywhere he goes, if he comes into contact with someone, if he sees someone walking down the street toward him, he is to declare himself verbally to be unclean. Giving warning, stay away, don't get too close. And so there is this kind of loneliness it's built into this situation for those who are in this situation of being ritually unclean in an ongoing way. He shall live alone. Well, that's an outline of that first part of the chapter. It's pretty heavy sledding if you just kind of read through the passage without some idea of the structure and what's going on. Now, very quickly, let me lay out the second part of the chapter from verses 47 through 59, which deal with clothing. First of all, in verses 47 to 49, it explains the responsibility of examination and the diagnosis of clothing. Clothing, which had been contaminated by these various diseases or decay, was to be looked at. And again, the rationale is similar to that which we've seen before. Because God is holy, this decay or this contamination must be removed from the lives of God's people. In fact, later on, there are going to be instructions in the, book of, uh, in the books of Moses regarding the mildew in homes and what was to be done with that kind of decay. At any rate, the principle is this. These effects of the fall have to be dealt with in order for the people of God to enter into his presence. 
Now, if you're having trouble making the connection between that and the gospel, we'll come back to that in a bit. But it should be fairly obvious. We are in a condition of decay and disease because of our sin. And we cannot enter into the presence of God until, our, until we are declared to be clean. That cleanliness, as we will talk about soon, only comes to us as we are washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. In verses 50 through 58, it is basically specified that there are two fundamental ways that you deal with these contaminated clothes. You clean them. It's a good place to start. And if the cleaning works, the clothes can be rescued. But if you can't get them clean, then you cut out the part that it didn't work on. And if that doesn't work, the contamination returns, then you burn the clothing entirely. So it's a fairly radical approach to dealing with contaminated clothing, particularly since we understand that at this point, clothing was not easy to come by. You didn't drive down to Walmart. You made it. And it was a very intensive process. So someone coming to you and saying, I don't know, that, uh, that, that thing, that contamination keeps coming back. You need to get rid of that piece of clothing. That was a pretty serious issue. Well, down in verse 59, finally, we have a summary statement for the whole chapter when Moses reminds us that this chapter tells us as a whole how God wants us to deal with things which have been infected, even clothing, by the contamination of disease and decay. This is the law for the mark of leprosy in a garment of wool or linen, whether in the warp or in the woof, and in any article of leather for pronouncing it clean or unclean. So, that's what's going on in the chapter. Let me spend the rest of our time this morning addressing some application of this. Leviticus 13 and 14, as we will see next week, are a unit. In Leviticus 14, we're going to learn what you do when you have been declared clean after you have first been declared unclean. What do you do when the Lord has cured you of these various diseases? And of course, there's much to say about that in the New Testament as well, but these are part of the focus here in Leviticus 11 through 16 on the theme of purity and holiness because the Lord in every aspect of life, including the physical life, is in fact the Lord, and He will be worshipped properly. Skin disease. Later on, as I mentioned before, there will be discussion of mildew. These are very visible things. You know when someone is afflicted. You know when mildew is present. 
And in the cases of diagnosis of skin disease or contaminated clothing, they were visible manifestations that something was wrong. They were symbols of what is true of our lives in general, that we have been affected by the fall. And because of the effects of the fall, we are separated from God. So skin disease that causes one to be unclean is a part of the contamination of this world through the sin of Adam. And so the main interest here is to show purity and holiness which is required for fellowship with God. And so the text does what we have just been talking about. It takes us through a variety of skin diseases and clothing contaminations. We learn about minor swellings and rashes and spots. We learn about chronic skin diseases. We learn about scars and burns, problems with the scalp. We even learn about false alarms. Now, the skin diseases here that are mentioned run the whole gamut, all the way from less dangerous things to more serious things. Eczema, psoriasis, down to even what we would call leprosy. And let me quickly say that in this chapter, though the specific disease that we call leprosy Hansen's disease, is included within the types of skin diseases that can make a person unclean. It's not the only thing. As we said, when the term leprosy is used in Scripture, it is a general term for a serious and contagious skin disease. It's a generic term that could refer to all kinds of things. So, even if you're not a physician or a dermatologist. We get the point that's being made here. But no matter what condition one, uh, one might have had, the main interest here is not primarily medical. Just as when we spoke about eating clean and unclean foods, we're not given those instructions in order to tell us something about how we ought to eat in a more healthy manner. That's not the point. And the point here is not about the medical condition itself. The priest, functioning as a kind of divine dermatologist, is primarily interested in these conditions because of their ceremonial and ritual significance. It's ritual impurity that is the concern. A scaly skin disease is a visible sign that something is wrong with a person. And in some cases, the physical problem is serious enough that it caused the person to be declared ceremonially unclean, unable to come into the presence of the Lord and His people, unable even to have anything to do with anyone. They've got to go outside the camp and they've got to live alone. And so the lesson 
should be very clear. Disease and decay, just as we saw last week in regard to certain bodily discharges, disease and decay indicate the state of a person who finds them to be something less than healthy and whole. There is a disease, there is a contamination that is incompatible with the presence of the Lord and therefore the person is declared ceremonially unclean. Now, remember what we learned last week and what we just mentioned a few moments ago. This uncleanness doesn't necessarily have anything to do with a specific sin on the part of the individual who is afflicted with the disease. Sin does, of course, enter into the picture, but not in that way. This idea of ceremonially, ceremonial uncleanness has other purposes. So what do we do with all of this in regard to application? Well, I want to remind you of two or three things very briefly. The first is this. If you had been a covenant member of the Lord's people in the nation of Israel under the Old Covenant, and you had been declared ceremonially unclean, not only would, have you been, would you have been isolated from your family, but you would have been isolated from the worship of the saints, from the assembly of, of God, from the people of God coming together into His presence to worship. You would have been cut off. Now, what function did that serve? Well, for one... It would remind us that the most important thing in the world and the greatest blessing in the world is to be with God's people in God's house in the worship of the living God. To gather here together this morning is a blessing. It is something for which God ought to be continually given thanks. We are not alone. We are a part of a body, the body of Christ. We are members one of another. We are brothers and sisters. And so, when we hear someone say, Sunday morning, I just feel closer to God when I'm at the beach or when I'm up in the mountains. You know that they don't understand God and they don't understand the gospel and they don't understand what God has said about the nature of His people being corporate and not just a collection of individuals. We also understand that God takes the corporate worship of His people very seriously. And that we, as His people, are to take His worship very seriously. In that regard, since we are well into the service this morning, let me just mention one thing that has started to become an issue. 
Worship begins at 11 o'clock. And we have time set aside prior to that hour so that God's people can prepare for worship. If we are going to honor God, if we take the worship of our God seriously, then I don't think that coming into this place after the service begins is a sign of that seriousness. I'll just let the Holy Spirit take that and do His work as He sees fit. You remember what the psalmist says in Psalm 27, 4. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in His temple. If one was declared to be unclean, they would be cut off from that privilege. And doesn't that beautifully remind us that the most important thing in life is the glory of God? The greatest blessing in life is the enjoyment of the glory of God. So we as the people of God who live in a generation that does not believe that God is the greatest blessing of life. This ceremonial code itself reminds us that the greatest hardship that any believer in God could ever endure would be the inability to come into His presence with His people to worship Him. It's a foretaste of our union and communion with Him in blessing and glory forever. Do you understand that? When we gather together here, it is a, granted, extremely blurry picture of eternity. We are a picture of the church. Now, we are the church in its local manifestation, but we're a picture of the larger church. We're a picture, at least we are to be a picture, of what Paul describes in his writings as that body of which there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. But we are also that body of people whom he has called out of every tongue and tribe and nation and people to be his. Brothers and sisters, we're going to spend eternity with one another, worshiping God. That's a long time. And it's going to be glorious. No matter what unbelievers say, they say, oh, that really sounds, sounds really boring. Right? Well, yeah, when you don't know God and you don't love Jesus, that would sound boring. It also sound boring when you don't actually understand what all of that entails. What does it mean to worship God forever? What does it mean to dwell with Him forever? 
This is a part of that. It's just a small slice. But what a beautiful picture. So we come here and we're seeing these things, right? We're seeing all of this glory that has to do with the worship of our God. But we also see something else, and it's very clear. It's what we've been coming back to throughout our our time together, and that is that this passage reminds us of the ravages of sin. And I think immediately of Matthew chapter 8. You remember the passage where a leper comes to Jesus and bows down before him and says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. That's a very poignant passage. First of all, because you remember what Jesus does. Jesus reaches out and he touches the leper. This is one of those guys who is supposed to be screaming, unclean, unclean, whenever anybody comes near him. And as he does that, everybody's running for the hills. But not Jesus. Jesus reaches out and touches him. You know, in the next chapter, we're going to find out what the priests were to do when a man was cleansed from leprosy. And we're going to find out that there's nothing in Leviticus chapter 14 which tells a priest how to cleanse a man of leprosy. In fact, the priest was instructed never himself to touch such a person, lest he not only become contaminated by the same disease, but also lest he become ceremonially unclean, after which he could not fulfill his ministry there at the tabernacle. But Jesus was no priest. Jesus stretches out his hand and touches the man, and you remember his words, I am willing. You are clean. And then what does he tell him to do? Go and offer the sacrifice commanded by Moses. Well, that sacrifice is going to be commanded by Moses in chapter 14. But isn't that a beautiful picture of how Jesus is the only mediator between God and his people? Only Jesus is going to touch that leper and cleanse him. No priest could cure that man. But the Lord Jesus, with a touch of his hand, is able to transform that man from being diseased into becoming whole, and that man's uncleanness into cleanness. And that, brothers and sisters, is a picture of our union with Christ. That's what happens to us through the gospel. When we recognize our uncleanness, our sin, when the Spirit of God convicts us, And we realize through the gospel and the power of the Spirit working through the gospel that the only way we can be cleansed is through Jesus Christ. And we come in faith and repentance, then we are cleansed. We are declared to be righteous with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. This is what the idea of justification is all about. God declares me to be just before Him. He declares me to be clean. My sin is gone. He has taken it as far as the east is from the west. This is our own experience 
if we have come to faith in Christ. We trust in Jesus Christ alone for our salvation as he is offered in the gospel. We turn from any dependence upon our own works, our own righteousness, our own holiness, because we come to realize we have none of that. We're unclean. And only one outside of ourselves can change us and make us clean. And that one is Jesus. There's one more thing I want to call your attention to. We've said that ceremonial ritual uncleanness of this passage ultimately points to what? The problem of sin. And thus moral uncleanness and cleanness is being illustrated in ritual or ceremonial cleanness and uncleanness. And you remember what the psalmist says in Psalm 24, 3. Who may ascend unto the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood and has not sworn deceitfully. Now what's that passage talking about? It's talking about our own state of sanctification and the enjoyment of the presence of God and that principle from Psalm 27 is illustrated in the ceremonial code. Those who are covered in sin, who are contaminated by the fall, cannot enjoy unhindered fellowship with God. They cannot enjoy the blessing of the presence of God. And so what has to happen? We have to be declared clean. We have to be declared justified. This is the picture of our justification. It is an act of declaration. The priest examines the one who has so been contaminated and declares them to be clean if they are so. God looks upon us if we have come to faith in Christ. He sees us in our union with Jesus. And as a result of that, He declares us to have been cleansed. He declares us to be just. It is the gracious declaration of God. Now, I look at my own life and I know that the day-to-day reality of my life is that I am not clean. But God declares me to be clean because the blood of Christ has covered me, has washed me, has taken away the defect. Because now that I am in Christ, it is not my righteousness in which I stand, but the righteousness of Jesus. My sin is no longer a contaminating thing because it has been removed. It has been forgiven. It has been cast into the deepest part of the sea. This is what God does when He draws us to faith in Christ. He declares us to be clean. I hope that is true of you this morning.
I hope that you have come to that place where you have seen your own uncleanness and you recognize there's not a thing that you can do about it. You cannot make yourself unclean. Only Christ can make you clean. Only Christ can enable you to stand before the Father to be declared just before Him. This is the grace of God. We don't deserve it. What we deserve is condemnation. But what He offers us is cleanliness. What He offers us is mercy by which He takes away that which keeps us from Him and then He invites us into His presence as His children, reconciled to Him, no longer enemies, no longer unclean, but clean. Father, thank you so much. Your grace is indeed amazing, and we thank you for it. We pray, Father, only that we would come to know it better, that we would see it more clearly, because we don't understand the half of it. But we rejoice in that, in that which we do understand. And we pray, Father, that as we continue to grow in grace, we might understand more and more the cleansing which has taken place within us through Christ. And Father, for any who are here this morning who have never understood this, who have perhaps all their lives, lives been depending on their own religious rituals and works, their own supposed righteousness. Father, show them their uncleanness, for that must first take place before they can understand their need to be made clean. Do these things, Father, for us today. We ask in the name of Christ our Savior, the one who cleanses. Amen.